You're listening to Guitar Radio Show. GuitarRadioShow.com Here's your host, Mark Davin. All right, people. Our next guest has played with our own Adelbert McClinton. Hank Williams Jr., John Prine, Bob Seeger, Fleetwood Mac, Jackson Brown, Bonnie Raitt, John Mayle, Roger McGuinn, Rosie Flores, just to name a few. But what I really want to talk to him about is his solo work, which I really, really like, and I've been listening to since his Rattlesnake Shake album. Um, we have Mr. Rick Vito. How are you, Rick? I'm great. How are you, Mark? I'm good. Hey, um... Right off the bat, I gotta I gotta ask you now. I'm I'm originally from the East Coast. I'm living in uh, Austin, Texas now. Um, I'm originally from the East Coast, and I've been to Darby, PA. Okay, it is not a hotbed of blues. No. So how the hell did that happen? <laughs> well, I grew up uh, in the. Philadelphia area. Okay, that and, makes a lot uh, of sense then. Okay, so starting back in the 50s, you know, Philadelphia was a very, very important city for rock and roll because of uh, Dick Clark's American Bandstand, sure. which was on every day after mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. And that, that was the show you watched that showcased everybody that had uh, hit records um, you know and uh, so that was uh, that was the beginning of my my sort of musical education and and later they started listening more to the radio there was DJs in Philly played great stuff there's a guy still still active there called Jerry Blavitt who played great R&B and R&B rock and roll that kind of music is just really a step or two away from the the blues that True. that you know that started that whole thing off. So being a guitar player and growing up uh, being a teenager in the '60s, mm-hmm. um, all of a sudden there was this influx of 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 blues and R and B as performed <laughs> by various groups like the Stones and uh, mm-hmm. the Beatles to some extent more R&B with, from the Beatles uh, cover things that they were doing and then we get into like the Paul Butterfield Blues Band and then the whole white kind of uh, interest in that kind of music so that, that mm-hmm. I just being a guitar player al- already I started to see the similarities between what Elvis was doing really back in the, in the 50s because he was really basically uh, him and and um, and uh, Bill Haley and the like were the first guys that were taking this music uh, that, that that was straight from the South and kind of just putting a little more of a, of a beat to it and you know doing their own take on it. So I'm just I'm just part of that whole thing. Right. So for you, was it more was it more Sam and Dave Wilson Pickett, Otis Redding, and, and or more Elmore James? Definitely more Elmore James, but mm-hmm. I, I did love uh, Otis Redding in particular, and I went to see Sam and Dave in their heyday also. So mm-hmm. I mean, I loved all that stuff. Mm-hmm. To me, it was just it was just the influence of black uh, musicians on the music scene in general that that interested me um, more so than you know like the pop stuff. Right. 
Right. It just seemed more gritty and more real and, you know, it was funky and, you know, they were, it was really a, a very cool way to express yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, okay. So for, for guitar, though, it was, it was more for you. It was Elmore James and people like that were making an impact, whereas every, everything else was sort of a melting pot. Well, yeah, but I also did, you know, you mentioned Otis Redding, Sam and Dave. I, I very much was aware that it was Steve Cropper playing all oh, those parts. Yeah, and so I, sure. I studied that as much as I studied Elmore James. It was just, a, you know, I put myself through my own self-study course mm-hmm. through records. Mm-hmm. You know, what made what made a good R&B guitar player, what made a good blues guitar player, mm-hmm. what made a good slide player, etc. You know, so there was all these different guys. And the more you delve into it, the more you the more you find out about, oh, well, you like him? Well, did you ever hear Robert Nighthawk? Oh, you like him? Did you ever hear uh, Earl Hooker? You know, etc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just from one to the next. Yeah, for sure. And an interesting thing about Cropper is he w- he was one of those guys that was like less is more. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And I see and, that, uh, I, I hear that in you too. Well, yeah, I mean, I really... If I if if I were to look at guys who who are capable of you know shredding and stuff, I, I mean I appreciate that and respect it. It's 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 dexterity that that not everybody can do. Right. But is that any necessarily any better than than an approach like BB King or or Amos Garrett or or Peter Green or Steve Cropper? Well, to me, I like to hear. Uh, fewer notes that are played with more feeling. Mm-hmm. That's, that's always been my approach. Yeah, for sure. Like Jeff Beck is one of those guys who can play one note, and it's okay. That's that's good. That's plenty. <laughs> yes, he's certainly an original. <laughs> um, I you you first came to my mind when you had gotten that Fleetwood Mac gig. Okay. And that's when I was like, oh, who, who's, you know, because it was a big deal, you know, okay, who are these cats? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I knew who Billy was, but I didn't, I didn't know you at that time. Mm-hmm. And then when I look at your discography, um, it's mind blowing because it's had, it's like half of my record collection. It's, it's, oh, ins- that's interesting. it's yeah. insane. You know, it's like, yeah, it's I- like Wadi Wattel. You, you and Wadi, uh, did anybody oh. else, did anybody else get to work? <laughs> well, I tell you what, I think Wadi Wattel's really kind of cornered the market on playing with. He must get the award for playing with the most artists. I swear, it's amazing. <laughs> so, I mean, with all those different people that you played with <clears throat> over the years, what is your what is your modus operandi when you're going in to do something like this? You know, you're going, okay, I'm going to go play today. I'm going to play with. Bonnie Raitt, and then I'm going to go play with Jackson Brown, or I'm going to play with Dolly Parton. You know what? What is um? Well, what's yeah, your? It, it, it's it's sort of a different. Uh, it was a different um, paradigm, I guess you would say, because you know we're talking about events that happened over a, a you know forty five-year period Mm -hmm. i i I first went to los angeles to get into the music business in 1971 and i was living right in the center of of what was happening and i knew a couple of people i knew todd rungren i knew delaney and bonnie and friends Mm -hmm. 
well, when I first went there, the first day I, I arrived in L.A., luckily, I, uh, I went over to just say hi to Todd, and he uh, had a whole house. He asked me where I was staying. I said, I hadn't made plans yet. He said, well, you're staying here. So I was looked after, and I started living a life that was geared towards, you know, getting work in the music business, and that was the place to be. Mm-hmm. So shortly after that, when I contacted Delaney and Bonnie, they offered me a gig to go on the road. That was my first professional gig. When that ended, Bobby Whitlock offered me a gig. Mm-hmm. And from that point, I'd meet and network uh, into all of these situations. So, um, you know, I was a little bit versatile, and I was able to just sort of go from one experience to the next as it came along mm-hmm. but that doesn't uh, take into account sometimes there were months on end uh, that nothing was happening or you know even bad years where there was very little happening that you just survived as best you could and um, you know, so that's the way it was for me yeah so but when you're going when you're actually working on a particular project is it um are you just the hired gun or are you are you asked to uh, contribute um fortunately uh and i would say 95 percent of the work i've done i was there because they liked the what i did mm-hmm. and um there was again certain situations where i step into and have to be aware of uh you know say an artist like um Jackson Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, David Lindley had come before me and made a pr- very strong imprint mm-hmm. on that music. So I had to. What what Jackson liked about me was the fact that I, in my own parallel world, was very much playing a lot of slide guitar. So what I could do was I could I could listen to what David had done, borrow the general sound of that but yet take it in my own direction mm-hmm. to some extent without getting too out there. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been able to do when, when the necessity was to bring something of my own to the table to add something new, but yet be respectful of what was there prior to my arriving on, on that person's music uh, and, and being able to, you know, sort of, do an interpretation of that 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 sounded legitimate mm-hmm. yeah for sure I'm, I'm you know it's interesting there's a um, milestone in my musical life that you were part of when i saw fast times at ridgemont high you're on the track somebody's baby mm-hmm. yeah and um <clears throat> after seeing that movie and hearing the soundtrack to that movie which was very fluid for you know, they really placed everything in there perfectly. I thought um, it was that was the moment when I said, "Wow, I, I don't think I just want to play in bands. I want to do music for movies and TV and stuff like that," which uh-huh. is what I ended up doing. Oh, cool! Um, and uh, so it was really sort of a springboard. It was a or a or an inspirational springboard, if you will. Um, That's good. Yeah. Nice. So thank you. For nice that. to get feedback like that. Yeah. Thank you for that. But. Um, You're um, speaking of, of slide guitar, you're, you're, um, such a fluid slide guitar player. 
you're uh, and you, you know it's interesting that you were having to come in and maybe cop some of Lindley's stuff and stuff like that. But you guys don't sound alike, but there's both there's a fluidity to both of you that I really really enjoy. I'm always curious when I when I speak to somebody who plays a lot of slide because I love to play slide. Um, for you, is it is it mostly uh, open tunings? And do you keep the action low, or are you someone that kind of jacks it up? Um, well, first of all, I, I usually play in, in E tuning, mm-hmm. or could drop down the whole note to do D tuning, which is the same thing, a whole note down. Right. Or, uh, or A tuning, mm-hmm. sometimes a G tuning, which is the same as A tuning, a whole note down, mm-hmm. whole step down. Or uh, in the older days, uh, I used to play in standard tuning. Um, and I would, yes, I'd have a guitar that was definitely just for slide, and those strings would be a lot thicker, mm-hmm. and the action would be a lot higher. Mm-hmm. And were you someone that, that kind of just, did you enjoy brass, glass, or chrome? Um, I used to... I used to use steel. I used to use the Sears sockets. Oh, really? Now you could get in the automotive department, or whatever that's, you know, in the hardware department. I don't even know if Sears is in business anymore. But uh, that's what people like um, John Hammond Jr. and and Lowell George, I believe, used, and uh, so that that suited me well until I came across a company called uh, Latch Lake. And they make a slide called the Acousta-Glide slide. They do two versions. Actually, they do uh, several versions. One is chrome, and I like that. And one is, um, you know, a brass alloy. Mm-hmm. And one is some sort of space-age rock-hard alloy that is indestructible. You can't put ridges in it or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So that those the Acousta-Glides are what I use now. Well, that's cool. So when you were using the, the, the sockets... Weren't they heavy? Yeah, I've always liked a little bit heavier slide. Mm -hmm. Um, I find now, like on some guitars that need to be played a little bit more delicately, you know, especially on some acoustic things, um, I find myself, you know, picking up a a glass or uh, this guy, Vinny, that has these B-picks makes (laughs) some kind of a polymer slide that, it wouldn't work great for electric because it doesn't sustain, but for acoustic guitars, uh, you get less rattle and mm-hmm. buzz on the strings, so it works well for mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I just had Vinny on, actually. He's a good guy. Yeah. Um, so when when you when you create, because I, I want to talk about uh, the Mojo on my side record, when, when you create, how much of it is... Um, how much of it is cerebral for you, and how much of it is it is emotional? Um, the cerebral part usually comes when you're just con- constructing your track, whether you're doing it with a live drummer or whether you're, you know, sometimes I'll I'll just create a, a rhythm track, mm-hmm. and and then I'll just try to, you know, take my time and listen to see what feels good, mm-hmm. and solos definitely. I would say 90% of the time for me, I wait, I just keep playing, keep playing solo and solo and just, just get lost in it and, uh, and take a whole bunch of them and see which, what really 
seems to work the best. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that way, I, I, I am using one side of my brain to a certain extent. But, you know, for me, the excitement about music and the thing that's fascinating to me is when I'll listen back the next day and go, wow, how did I do that? Or I can't believe I did that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, that, that sounds really good. I'm glad I did that. Yeah. You know? so, so there was spontaneity. And then you have to go, yeah. and then kind of you have to go back and learn it to play it live, or are you just going to kind of no, I, let I, it fly? I, I, you know, there, there may be certain things about solos that I'll remember that I like to keep in them, and I'll play it similarly, similarly uh, two nights in a row. But uh, generally, I, you know, I like to keep it fresh if I can, mm-hmm. and not play it exactly the same way every night. Yeah. Um, on the on your last record it was uh, Mojo on my side. There's a track on there that is just absolutely. I mean, for me, when I heard I, after I heard the whole record, I was like, wow. The standout track for me was the Femme Fatale track. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, it just it just resonated with me, and I was just like, wow. This has mm-hmm. got this has got it all going on here. It's got a great groove. You know, the great backing track and what you're doing on top is just so syrupy and and just good to hear. Yeah, really great. Yeah, really great. Is there a standout track for you on that record? Like like a track that you feel like, oh, wow, man, this is I got it all right here. Well, let's see. You know, I was always a big fan of uh, of magic sam you know yeah i got to see him play live in philadelphia and uh, of course he died very young so i was even more happy i got to see him and so um for years i've done his song called easy baby mm-hmm. and uh, it um i i was able to do a fairly decent vocal on it and and also i've got a new technique working up now that uh, i use on that track uh, involving fretless guitar so mm-hmm. what you think might be slide guitar in some of those songs is actually fretless oh. so there's no slide at all it's just a it's a neck with with no frets on it wow so is that a fretless with a metal board or a wood board uh, metal oh wow that's cool yeah it's exciting because uh you know it allows you to to pick more notes because mm-hmm. obviously you know you're not constricted um, by that bar, mm-hmm. but yet using your imagination, you can you can slide up to notes or or, or down from notes, and uh, and for me, it's it's opening up a whole new world. It's sort of a it has to be approached more like a violin than a guitar, and you're going up and down the neck more as opposed to across the neck. Um, so you have to be very precise because obviously there's no frets there for you to mm-hmm. hit. You, you've got to, you've got to get that intonation pretty good. And yeah. on that track, and, uh, there was a couple others I did it on, um, uh, life was just a struggle is another one mm-hmm. that I, uh, I did that fretless on and, uh, came off pretty good. So I was, ex- I was excited about that. That's too. super cool. Um, so is there, is there, I mean, I know that you've been on this past summer, you were out on the road with Mick a bit, right? Well, we just finished about three weeks ago. We did a, um, 15 date tour on the West coast in Canada. And how, how is that? I 
love playing with Mick. It, it, it's it's really kind of like me doing my show, but with Mick on drums. And with Mick on drums, it sort of um, catapults it into this other, um, you know, level. Uh, not that my other drummers that I work with aren't great, but mix, you know, in, in that a lot of those early Fleetwood Mac songs is, is, is partly his creation. Obviously he played on the original versions of them. Right. Um, he's able to put a certain kind of energy that uh, nobody else has into those songs. Yeah. And it's always interesting to hear what he does on my songs. So, um, I love that situation. Yeah, some of the video I've seen of you guys, you, 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 you seem very natural together. It's like seamless. I know. I, it's it, it's interesting. We uh, we certainly, when we hooked up again after, uh, you know, I was in Fleetwood Mac from 87 to 91, but then we kind of went our separate ways for a really long time. And we've been back playing together I think for about 10 years now. Mm -hmm. And during that 10 years, we've really developed a rapport, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. You all taking, um, you you doing Rattlesnake Shake Live? Yeah, some nights. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm telling you, man, that's like to me the consummate (laughs) Fleetwood Mac tune. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's, you know, they were one of the first groups that really took Peter Green uh, coming from a very purist. Uh, style, you know, yeah. the, the the first records say it was all it was strictly blues, really no frills blues, not really dressed up. But he started writing these these tunes that were sort of offshoots of blues that had a little bit of a of a more you know rock and roll feel, I guess, you know, but in a different way. It mm-hmm. was just because he was writing them and he being who he was Mm -hmm. and uh and he just had an air of authenticity about everything he did whether it was singing or playing or writing so everything he did just rang true and that's what i really take away from from peter's influence Mm -hmm. i think it's his birthday today by the way oh really Uh, happy birthday peter green happy birthday peter green that's great um, yeah, I mean, I don't think, I, I, you know, I, I think a lot of bands might not have been or uh, kind of ascended to where they did had it not been for that early Fleetwood Mac. Like like Aerosmith, I think. Aerosmith and the Allman Brothers stand out to me as two bands that definitely took that two-guitar uh, approach and uh, and, you know went with it yeah i mean aerosmith used to in the early club days they covered rattlesnake shake all the time mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's fun it's funny now because when i go out to maui mick lives on maui and we play there at his restaurant very often just it's not just a restaurant it's a venue uh, but steven tyler's always there sitting in with us doing that song <laughs> yeah he i mean and he sings he sings the hell out of that song it's great well he's a great great rock and roll singer there's no question about it yeah, you know, he's a nice guy too very yeah. nice guy yeah um so um what's ahead now is there going to be another record coming for me yeah um yes i've got it I've got it uh, all recorded. Oh, I haven't wow. got it mixed. I haven't. I think I'm. I'm in the living with it period right now. Okay. Seeing if there's anything I want to change before I commit to final mixes and mastering. 
and um, we've as far as mixed thing I, I'm not sure he's he's uh, he's involved in recording with with the uh, Fleetwood Mac right now so I I'm not sure whether uh, or how soon we'll get to a, our next record um, yeah. they, we've just put out a couple of live things with that yeah. uh, ensemble I wish we would do another record that would be really a lot of fun but mm. uh, we'll see that's great. So when you're when you're when you're in that living with it period, um, do you find that you, you need, obviously I, I would imagine you need to get away from it a little bit just to kind of look. yeah I always do sometimes I need to take months away from it really that long well yeah because then I feel better about when I when I release it you know uh, back back in the day when I didn't have um, a studio at home and I'd have to go into the studio and do the best work I could at the time and then have to live with it because of the constraints of money and the time and mm-hmm. the whole bit. There would always be things that you'd just cringe at. Oh, I wish I would have done that better. I wish mm-hmm. I would have remixed it. I wish mm-hmm. I would have done this or that. So you try to eliminate as, as much of that as you can if possible. So when you're in that period, though, do you ever get a, do you ever get a, a for me, I know for me, I'd be like, oh man, I, I want to hear that again. I'm curious, like my curiosity of, of, wanting to hear it again would would kind of overwhelm me but well, is it, sometimes i do you know I, yeah. I, I'll, I'll that's the beauty of it yeah. you know you can go you can go for a re-listen at any any point in time yeah or if you don't want to hear it for a while <laughs> you don't have to yeah so you feel like it's almost like you get it out of your veins a little bit this way you can get it back in and be like uh-huh. be more objective yeah. about it i get it yeah it's like you mentioned that record of mine rattlesnake shake well yeah. i haven't listened to that record in years oh it's so good and i had to and i had to uh, um get some more copies made you know to sell etc and um and so i had to proof listen to the the record from its entirety and uh you know i had to say that i was i was pretty pleased with it i because you know when it's real fresh in your head you're, you're never quite sure mm-hmm. but in this case, it was years since that I'd listened to it, and with a couple of uh, slight exceptions, uh, I was pretty happy with everything that we did on that record. Yeah, I really dig that record. It's funny too because that record came out right around the time that I was um, thinking about doing this show, and oh. and I had I said I immediately decided to put together a list of people I wanted to have on the show. And because of that record, you were on the list. I waited this long, like I told Wadi and I told uh, uh, Bumblefoot. I waited this long to ask you because I wanted to make sure there were enough listeners. <laughs> oh. You know, and now since we're in 11 countries, <laughs> I figured, okay, now's a good time to ask Rick. I'll ask Rick to do oh. this now. You know, and the same with Wadi too. But, um, it uh, it was a it was one of those records that was kind of around me all the time, listening to it as I was kind of deciding. Okay, I wanted to I want the show to be like this, and I want to talk about that, and I want to have these type of people on there because I kind of felt you and like the other the aforementioned people are visceral guitar players. You know, when I asked you earlier about. You know how much of it is cerebral, how much of it is emotional. When I hear you play, it I hear emotion, and uh, and it sparks that emotion in the listener. 
So oh, that, that's a that's a, an, an excellent uh, compliment. Tom. So it makes me feel like I'm doing something right. Oh because, yeah. You know, if if I'm not doing that, then I'm not doing my job. That's, mm. that's what I want to do. Well, you're you're definitely doing that, your job. Kind of <laughs> you're definitely Thank doing you. your job. So um, I wanted to ask you about gear. Um, you've been playing Reverend guitars for a while now. And um, is that something, is that pretty much your your live rig? And then in the studio, you're using a bunch of other stuff? Or what? You, what's going on with that? Well, uh, the Reverend thing was an offshoot of me creating my own personal guitars. And, and so I designed and had built uh, several guitars. And um, they, were, they were sort of... Uh, uh, form follows function kind of art deco inspired uh models you know yeah. so that they, i wanted them to just be completely unique i didn't really want them to look like anything else mm-hmm. and i wanted to be the only one that had them mm-hmm. um so reverend liked them but and but they their idea was can we take like the elements some of the art deco design elements of your guitars and um and and put some of our ideas with them and we tried it out the first time about uh um let's see i came out about 2002 or three or was it five uh it was a signature guitar that that they basically took one of their models and I had had this uh, stage jacket, which was you know, custom painted with all these kind of crazy images on it, like skulls and planets. And so, what they did was they copied the the my images from my from my hand painted coat, and they um, somehow got that onto the the metal face of this uh, signature model. Uh, well, that 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 model did okay, but but it didn't really. Um, you know, wasn't a, it wasn't a, you know, home run hit out of the park, so to speak. So then they changed their whole um, operation to um, to a different way of making their guitars, and they redesigned their whole line. And so we, they took more direct influence of my uh, self self designed and made guitars. Um, and put that into the current signature model that's out there. So I'll use that or one of those for, you know, a good bit of the set, but I don't ever feel like I need to limit myself to just that one guitar because that has one sound and maybe, you know, a Fender guitar has a different, you know, completely different sound. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I I really do like Reverend guitars. They're well-made and they have a lot of different models that do different things and the the great people. Mm-hmm. So in the studio, are you going in with a mix of stuff? Like you're going in with yes. te- you going yes. in with tellies, Just everything going... and anything. Yeah, I have old old Supro electrics that I use, old National guitars, mm-hmm. um, Frankenstein things that I put together, my self designed guitars that are one of a kind mm-hmm. things, and uh, vintage guitars. You know, I've got I've got. Old Strat and old Les Pauls and that kind of thing. So yeah. whatever, whatever I feel like. Yeah. Speaking of Les Pauls, I know that you uh, were quoted in the. Uh, you have a little section in the Burst Believers book. 
Yeah. Vic the Praz book. I, Vic, we just had Vic on the show, actually. Um, yeah. Um, and you're also in another book that I absolutely love, uh, Deke Dickerson's uh, Strat in the Attic. Oh, yeah. Um, and I love that. I love that book. I really do. It's just... It it, uh, it actually makes you want to get up. Great stories. Yeah, it's great stories, and it makes you want to get up and go, you know, head out to a pawn shop. <laughs> well, yeah, once you get that in your blood, and it used to really be exciting in the old days when you could actually find stuff. Yeah. Find great stuff. Yeah. For three hundred bucks. Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, back in the day, um, I mean, if you had a thousand dollars, you could get. You know, two or three fifties vendors for yeah, that. You yeah, know, yeah. and uh, it was a really exciting time. But mm-hmm. it, it it didn't hadn't turned into the monster it's become now. Yeah, it certainly has. Have you been to any of the uh, vintage shows or anything like that? Oh yeah, yeah, many times. Yeah, yeah. I often perform at the at Jimmy Wallace's Dallas show. Oh okay. In the spring, were you there this year? I was, yeah. Oh, wow. I missed your set, man. Oh, man. Oh, you should have been there. It was me and Robin Ford and Sonny Landreth. Oh, man. It was a real cool... Uh, and then I did my own show in the afternoon. And that was on a Sunday, wasn't it? Saturday, I believe. Oh, man. How the hell did I miss that? I don't know. Oh, man. Are you coming back next year? Well, uh, I don't know yet. And hmm. I have to see. Yeah, this is going to be his 40th anniversary this year, which is going to be... Is it really? Yeah, it's pretty wild. I can't believe he's been doing it for 40 years. Um, So, when do you think we'll see this record then? Next year? Yeah, next year. I'm I'm hoping to have everything finished by New Year's. And and then I've got two labels right now that are expressing interest in it, and we'll see if uh, if either one of them... um, you know, really comes to bat on it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting now that the, the climate of of the record company and their involvement or lack right. thereof now is, is is very interesting, you know. Um, That's a good word for it, interesting. That's a very kind word. <laughs> um, well, it's a family show. So, you know... <laughs> Uh, it, it's frustrating, um, particularly when I see artists like yourself or or up and comers who, you know, thirty years ago, forty years ago, they would have been scooped up because they're they're just not that good. And uh, you know, now these 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 new players really, I, I mean, you know, even though there's a lot of DIY going on, um, you know, and the internet is a great little tool, there's still that. I think we've reached such a saturation level yeah. with the internet that it's actually worked against us in some respects. Yeah, it, it's it's true. Um, you know, it started with home recording, mm-hmm. and then the internet, and uh, and then just everybody's a star now, and everybody's you know got a CD out now, and it, it's uh, it's. It's made it hard to make any money in the business. I wouldn't want to be young and, and starting out now. I'm at the, I'm at the, you know, the in the golden years of my career, so to speak. Uh, so I can sort of afford to do it for art's sake. Mm-hmm. I prefer to make money at it. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm. 
if if there's no money to be made or little money to be made, I'm I'm not going to stop doing it for for the sake of putting out as much art as I can while I'm still on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's 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 going to be interesting. I think the next five years are going to be very telling for the music industry to see what what they're going to do next and how they're going to try. I mean, you know. It's it's going to be interesting. I'll leave it at the that. The next five years are going to be interesting, just in life and in this country to well, see what's going to be happening because there's so true. much craziness going on yeah. in every aspect of life right yeah, now. That's very nobody true. knows anything. Nobody can predict anything. Yeah, that's yeah. very true. It's tedious for yeah. sure. Well, Rick, I, I got to tell you, uh, like I said back in 2007 when I started this thing, you were on the you were on the top of the list of people that I was gonna, that I was going to go after to get on the show, and it's it's uh, been great to talk to you, man. Nice talking with you, Mark. Thanks Wish so you all the best. Thanks so much for being on the show, and uh, we'll be in touch. Okay. Thanks so much. Okay. Check out Guitar Radio Show on Facebook, Twitter, Google, Instagram, and Tumblr. And of course, on GuitarRadioShow.com. New episodes of Guitar Radio Show air Wednesdays on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podplay, Player FM, Podomatic, and of course, on GuitarRadioShow.com. GRS Productions.